0: Welcome to another BritFlix.com podcast. My name's Stuart Wright, and today's guest is Henry Blake. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Stuart. It's a real pleasure to be here. Wow, you've calmed down. Just just for the listener's benefit, we've been having basically St Vitus dance conversation before we started recording. (laughs) Uh, And that's the calmest voice I've heard in the last 20 minutes.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. I'm going to go back into real mode now. (laughs) Um, It is fucking great to be here, though, and I got your message you saw the film right mm. yes i did and then you said i'm genuinely shaken by it which i always appreciate and then i said let's shake like maracas together on the show
0: indeed and here we are we've we've done a bit of rattling already we've woken up we have. <laughs> we've woken up the internets and uh, we should probably say at this point what we're talking about which is your film county lines yes. um, which is as i'm reliably informed is released in cinemas and digitally on BFI Player and Curzon Home Cinema from Friday the fourth of December,
1: which is this Friday.
0: It is indeed. Yes, we are we are recording this on the second of December, dear listener. Um yeah. So you wrote and directed this film, Henry. So uh-huh. as 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 people are listening because they've seen that maybe, or because they've got a subscription to the podcast, do you want to tell them what the film, a brief synopsis to what the film's about, to sort of tempt them in to maybe go check it out?
1: Anyway, so, County Lines is a 91 minute, sort of hard hitting, challenging drama about a 14 year old boy who has been excluded from school and then is, a, is in a pupil referral unit and is having a, 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 a tough time. You know, he's vulnerable, he's looking after his little sister, him and his mom aren't really connecting. Um, and a County Lines recruiter, uh, takes him under his wing and essentially begins to traffic him uh, over the UK, uh, selling drugs. And over the course of that journey, Tyler, that main character, the 14-year-old child, transforms into a traumatized, volatile, quite dangerous young man. And the film examines the fallout of that behavior on a family. And I think what makes the film... Ever so pertinent is that County Lines The Issue, which is a series of drug distribution networks, highly profitable, highly organized um, across the UK, um, which vulner- exploit vulnerable children and adults, is a real national crisis. So the goal of the film is to kind of lay bare the, the true cost and horror of. of what this what this game is about?
0: Yeah, no, and that's kind of you. You you say that I was shaken. I mean, it's it's interesting, sort of getting ready for this uh, podcast, reading, you know, the the IMDb that tells you it's a moving coming of age story about this horrendous <laughs> issue. But yeah, but I would say that um, it did leave me shaken and shaken in the in the same way that when I finished watching London to Brighton or System mm-hmm. Crasher or Snowtown, mm-hmm. in the sense of. The, the reality of the world we live in for people with a, a narrow band of choices can quickly sort of fall into a living hell just because they've got little choice, not because they're particularly bad or good people.
1: Yeah, and I think like cinema's really good at delivering that, that atmosphere, if it's authored properly and giving it to people and really getting under your skin it's funny because I was talking um with my production designer who worked on the film today, uh, Phoebe Darling Senna and Sphere Sordle, the cinematographer. She started a little WhatsApp group because we share films and stuff. And she rewatched Wake and Fright. Have you seen Wake and Fright, the Australian film?
0: It's one of my absolute favorites. I even went and got I got the book after it and everything. And it's
1: May a special DVD was released. Special release of it was like released two years ago. I was on that. I was like on that. I was just like, well, I can't take my money. And um, we watched that for this film. Because not because when you watch Wake and Fright, you don't go, oh yeah, that makes sense of County Lions. But just the way that that film gets under your skin is deeply, deeply. Which is, a, which is
0: why it's a film you can go back to because it's not, it's not about the story. It's about the feeling that it gives you. and
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and with County Lines, for me, coming at it from having been a youth worker for 11 years and having worked with children who have been exploited and having seen this for real, and this has been in the headlines for a number of years now, you know, for the general public, it has still remained very much a safe issue. And by that, what I mean is like you can read something or you can hear it on the radio and you sort of equate your interest and then you can be like, yeah, okay, yeah, that sounds really bad. But you see, cinema shakes you up, you know. It, 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 it's like it comes at the material in, a t- in an entirely different way and it can essentially present the issue in and, and, and you know lance you and and take almost like rip in the safest way possible rip out all that safety of sort of cerebral interpretation of information you know statistics and like oh god that's really that must be really bad and all of this and then cinema kind of just grabs that canvas and then just wipes and smears stuff all over i always said with this film from the day dot i was speaking with my my composer james pickering about it i said the film should feel when you watch it like a like a tin of black treacle has been poured over your head and the thing about black treacle is it's viscous it's syrupy and it would get into every pore and between behind your ears and in your hair but if you take just the right amount on your finger and lick it there's a sweetness
0: there is and are you are you saying that the, for the viewer they're going to find there's a sweetness to the tale and is the sweetness in the tale the fact you're shedding light on you're able to shed light on something but also point to hope in the sense of because i think the hope in your film and this isn't going this doesn't reveal anything i don't think about the story in too spoilery way but you you reveal that it's with the active support of adults that children will either avoid this and or can be helped if they get sucked into it and survive.
1: Yeah, and maybe with the adults, it's with the active presence of mind that the adults need to come to as well. As in, I think there has been a lot of willful blindness with this issue nationally. And it has continually got worse and more volatile. And a lot of that it comes down to att- att- attitudes towards it, you know, and sort of going, well, you know, they're little hood rats. You know, they just need to be locked up. And that attitude has kind of grown and become more and more pervasive.
0: Well, it's an easy it's an easy class war to win, that one, isn't it? It's like, well, they're just, they're just making bad choices, so we can't help them.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it's that same attitude to me as well says like says like um always says to me, I do a lot of domestic violence training as well. And always says, well, you know, if the woman, if a woman's in a relationship and getting abused and she just continually gets abused, she must like it somehow. I would just leave. And you're like, Hmm, yeah. Um that's completely fucking wrong okay and from a writing perspective this is where screenwriters are so important because that con- the missing context as a writer it's your job to bring that context to the table and i think one of the things that about the film is that it shakes people up because they walk into it especially with youth and drugs and cinema and they go they've got a whole host of pre- preconceived ideas. You know what I mean? And they go judgment and they go, okay, all right, it's gonna be like this and everything. And they walk out and they go, fuck.
0: Well, no, that was I mean, yeah, if if i if, if I was being <clears throat> I was being honest, and there's no reason for me not to be honest, there's always that fear when you when you when you pick up a British film which is about real issues, that you're just about to watch an exploitation of poor people, when in fact what you've done is open a can of worms on something that you you're obviously very, very close to and know about. But for some bizarre reason that you don't understand, and that's given you seemingly given you the energy to make make a film like this to show people that it's it, how real this is and what and what the damage is. Because in a sense, um, Tyler's Tyler's journey is one thing, but actually, what's a, what what makes the film so shakes you to your core, as it were, is the collateral damage off a 14 year old, no. you know, he's, he's doing nothing other than be pushed around like a pinball in a machine. But while being pushed around, because he's got no choice and he's believing what adults say, who have somehow took an interest in him, that creates something else. And that, that's where it was, where to me, it sort of really, really chucked me out myself. Like, yeah, every, people are trying to do the best they can. And then, the, the, their child gets gets groomed and, and locked into the county line system and you effectively lost your child and there's nobody to help.
1: I mean, I can't tell you we're getting daily now in the lead up to the release and I've had it for a long time. Um, we get contacted every day by mothers and parents, family members, communities, uh, foster homes saying we need help. You know, this is it's it's happened so much. You know, even today, I've, I've, I've received another message from a mother. What's who's what?
0: Like, remind oh. us. What's the at the, the, the end of the film? Because this, this is no spoiler in terms of what we watch. You you put up a um,
1: 10,000 10, children are estimated to be exploited by county lines criminal networks,
0: which is which is horrendous in terms of you know a so called first world Western democracy like like Great Britain is
1: yeah and i mean i think like i absolutely agree like for me in 2015 when i was working with children um take it let me just put this on silent when i was working with children who were um being exploited like my brain coming out of this experience was like i i just can't reconcile That this is okay in this country because I love Britain. You know, I've got a deep, deep love. My parents are British. They moved to New Zealand 40 years ago. And I essentially grew up, you know, with a New Zealand surrounding, but there was so much British upbringing, you know, and I love this country so much. And for me, it's distressing to go, I can't let this go. I can't let this slip and just go, well, well, that's the way it is, because it's not the way it is and it shouldn't be the way it is. And it it doesn't, it's like, it doesn't, uh, the sort of apathetic resolve that people come to, which is, well, that's just life, isn't it? It's like, no, it's not. It's not just life. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I think sometimes it just takes for someone to call that and go, hold on a minute, this is fucking not okay. You know, and part of the problem, and part one of the big challenges in youth work, is actually bringing round a child to understand that what they're experiencing is not okay, because so much of that trauma you normalise it, you flatline it. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and and, and that and that was one of that was one of my um, one of my notes that I made to myself when I was as I was watching the film because from a, from a script point of view, getting that across. In, in 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 the in the in the midst of your drama, I thought was super clever the idea of the one-on-one interview, and this idea of understanding what a um, acceptable loss is, and and this abs- and talking to a fourteen-year-old about about the idea of you know I can't remember the, I can't remember the exact examples, but if I just you know losing things for a business, you know lost screws or whatever it might be is acceptable yeah, loss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A plumber, a plumber might
1: have a spare bit of piping yeah, that they yeah. might chuck to use.
0: Yeah. And then, and then you. I leave. wrote the scripture. I remember it word by word. You should do yes. No, this is this is it. I. Uh, but but it. it but, what, but what I love is that you 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 give us that setup and don't tell don't reveal to us, and then you throw it back at us later with the with the idea understanding a lot more about Tyler's situation at that point, where you as an audience have learnt with him the futility of what he's doing, but you you also understand the futility of trying to escape it uh, because how does he do that from what we understand in the film? And then this, this other adult comes on board who's trying to help him to say, you need to understand this, that you are that spare bit of pipe. (laughs) It was a, it's a, I was going to say, cause 'cause that that was really clever. Uh, But, but what I want to ask it is usually I ask people, you know, so what did you, how did you conceive this idea? Well, it's clear that your, your work with, with, uh, with kids has, has certainly informed you as to what's going on. So what's the segue between the work you were doing with youths and the idea of turning what you were observing into a feature film? How did, how did you bridge that one? Well,
1: at the time, in, in sort of 2015, in the lead up to working in this pupil referral unit, I, I was keeping my filmmaking and my youth work very separate. Deliberately so. I think on some subliminal level, I was scared of what the results would be. And also as at a skill level, I probably wasn't there in the, in the, in the years leading up to 2015 to really be confident to handle the subject matter from a filmmaking perspective, certainly from a writing perspective. So I was developing another feature and I was doing all the to-do. So I was, you know, everyone was saying in the industry at that time, you know, write this genre, do this, make sure it's selling this, make sure you have this, ma 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 And I was doing that and I was ticking all the boxes. And of course everyone said no. <laughs> so I was like, I, that that project shut down. And I was like, well, fuck that. I'm not listening to fucking them anymore. And so Victoria, my wife, who um, one of the producers on the film said, you know what, we just got to go back to the basics of write what you know. And at that time, there was a strange coalescing in my life where I was working with this group in the pupil referral unit and it was so intense and it was so traumatizing and it was so distressing that I couldn't ignore what I knew any longer. You know? And I then decided okay this has to be it because no one is going to tell this no one's going to show this you know if you if you if you try and do this the usual normal way no one's going to want to touch this you know what i mean and no one did no one did want to touch it because it's it's controversial it it challenges a lot of preconceived ideas and urban myths and it's and it's the good the bad and the ugly of contemporary britain so I knew for Victoria and I to get through the gate what we needed to do. Because up until that point, all of our short films had performed pretty much nothing at festivals. I had no agent. I couldn't get one meeting. I was literally, you know, I I was writing every day and I was very passionate. And then I would have to run over and across London and do my youth work. But I couldn't get a break. You know, I just couldn't get a break. And, and, so I had to author a short film, which was a proof of concept, you know? And I remember <laughs> from a writing perspective, you'll like this. We were authoring the short film on the ca- we have this couch, which has become this sort of sacred writing place when we talk about ideas, et cetera. You know, you might, as a writer, you always have a spot, right? And Victoria and I work very closely when I'm starting to, to form an idea. And we were sat on the couch, and we were talking about when Tyler goes to the trap house and everything. And I was like, okay, so then what needs to happen after that? And then Victoria was like, you know, well, what do you feel? And I was like, well, I kind of want the film to play like Full Metal Jacket. And from a writing perspective, what the, one of the most beautiful things about Full Metal Jacket is that he, he establishes this training ground for the soldiers. And then literally halfway through the film, he goes, and now you're in war. And I'm not, and and like the whole perspective of the material shifts. Yeah. And for me, I think it's such a brilliant move because it establishes how these young men have just the bottom end ripped out of them. And it's like, you're taught the code and then bang, you're put in the reality and get on with it. Do you know what I mean? And, and I was like, that's what I want. And so the short film structurally was inspired by Full Metal Jacket. So then writing the feature, obviously, the first couple of drafts, I kind of went, I really lent into the political and the sort of police and everything. And everyone was kind of like, oh, God, that doesn't smell very good. Um, you know, what do, what do you really know? And I said, what I really know is I know parents and I know kids. You know, I've worked a lot with parents and kids and I was kept in a, on a very strict line from Victoria and the other producers around me. And I, I credit them to that because, you know, the first draft as always with every first draft is an abomination
0: we'll get, we'll think it we'll just 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 let me hold that thought a second so when you when you were at that point where they're going you know staying stay in this narrow lane with it what how was that how was that given to you as a note and what do you remember as being like a really strong note from them that pushed you forward to the film we've got to see now?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it was just the discovery of sort of every draft, you just unearth the essence of of your film. Every Well, at least for me, you just, you just kind of unearth what it really is. You know, at the moment, I'm pinning something as well. And it's like every single time, every draft is just refining it. And actually, I don't mind losing stuff. I'm not very precious like that. I just want to drill down and get to the essential sort of molecular level so it were tough drafts. I mean, like the second draft that I wrote was 120 pages. I wrote it in three weeks and I just had my, my second baby in Victoria, you know. And out that second draft proved to be a, came, a complete tonal departure from what you see in the film. But we got one scene out of it. And a lot of the time for me, writing is panning for gold.
0: Yeah, yeah You know what I mean?
1: I like, do know what you mean. But you have to be able to be allowed to write those drafts, those kind of just spurious, spewing kind of, you know, the tones all over the shop. You just go, oh, that's a scene, write it. That's a scene, write it. And, you know, for me, if you get one scene out of that, then it served its
0: purpose. Indeed, indeed. I think think it's hard for people, and this isn't, it's not hard in the sense of like going to the moon hard, but it's hard for people that don't that don't write that don't understand the idea of writing being like an artist doodling. An artist will do you. You go you look at you go to the Edvard Munch Museum. You see how many versions of the Scream there are. There isn't a there isn't a painting called the Scream. There's one we've seen, but there's about sixty.
1: 100 percent, hundred percent. And I approach. I've got friends who are painters, like very close friends, and I've been around painters, and the film's very informed by painters and art. And, you know, everyone, all, all you ever see with those big painters like the Rembrandts and everything and the, and the Da Vinci's or the, the, the Goyas, et cetera, they're masterpieces, right? But if you go to a properly curated exhibition, you see the work. And the work is, it, it's like the Mona Lisa's the tip of the iceberg. I don't want to see the Mona Lisa. I want to see his scrapbook. Yeah. Because that's going to tell me the journey to the Mona Lisa. You know what I mean? And that's where the gold dust is. And it's the same George Bellows, who's probably famous for the uh, the, the, uh, paintings uh, in New York in the early 19th century, I believe, or the 20th century. um, He inspired Raging Bull, so the visual palette. And if you look at the paintings, they're really, really, uh, you can see Raging Bull all over them. And Scorsese loved Bellows. And it was an amazing exhibition at the Royal Academy of his work that me and my parents went to when they were over. And his scrapbooks were fucking amazing because they were charcoal, you know, he used charcoal and he would just, and, and the, those iconic Raging Bull inspired boxing paintings, or that inspired Raging Bull were like sketched out multiple times. Multiple times because he would go and watch boxing matches, and he always had in his mind, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna paint a fucking amazing boxing, boxing painting. But of course, what he had to do was understand the environment and then put his topspin on it. Do you see what I mean?
0: I do see what you mean. Yes, very much so.
1: And, and that's the rider, right?
0: Yeah, and it's that, it's that, and and, and the idea of trial and error because you, as as a, I mean, I say this because as someone who, who who sort of took to writing sort of later in life rather than has been plugging away at it. I mean, I've written things, but, you know, a creative writing, which is that trial and error shit, um, is something I've only done for like the last 12, 12, 15 years as opposed to, you know, 25, 30. And it's been a real discovery for me that the idea that it's not about finishing anything. It's about panning for gold. It's like if I find a chunk of gold then it was worth everything i mean you as i've gone on i've i've appreciated the process i'm involved with cuz then you you hear people like hemingway say give yourself permission to write shit all day
1: you are i was literally about to say it's such a great thing that the, my favorite word my favorite term in writing and is um is i think writers confuse a lot of the time the fear of failure than with it's not that they're scared of failing. Failing, it's that it, it, they need to give themselves the permission. Do you know what I mean? It's about permission with writing. It's like, yes, you can go there. Yes, you can write that.
0: Well, you're you're yes. indeed you're joining me as I'm. I, I've 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 begun a month long process, and I'm I'm close to a month into it now, of three pages of stream of consciousness every morning, and Beautiful. I've come up with some of the best stuff. I mean, the three pages in total are not brilliant, but the characters and the ideas, I just, I bump into someone on the street and I can then come home and write three pages about them and they don't know it. (laughs) And And it's an amazing way to work. And it's got no pressure at all because I'm the only audience.
1: So I have a very structured, when I'm like trying to find ideas, and I know County Lines was unique in that it was informed by my youth work, but certainly at the, um, with my new project and another one, um, I have a very structured like process of free writing where you write three pages a day um, for six days. And this was inspired by a novelist who I met when I was living up in Wilsden Green, and she took me through this process that she created. So you, three, you write three, um, three pages a day and you stop right at three. So even if you're on a high, you know, like Hemingway used to, he used to walk away from the best sentence in the world. Because, you know, there is nothing worse as a writer getting high on your own supply. Because, you know, it, it can kill, it can actually kill an idea. So at three pages, it doesn't matter where you are, you stop. And you do that for six days, right? And then on the seventh day, you get two highlighters, a green and a yellow. Green meaning insights, so insights that you might learn, and then yellow meaning ideas. And you reread, you go through the six days, and you read and you highlight insights and highlight ideas. And then you write the seventh day. And I tell you what, it's very hard not to get high on your own supply when you get into that because (laughs) I agree with you. Some of the stuff that comes out, is so wild and so inspirational. But then the trick, of course, is then to how do you start to take that as a framework? And I think there's a word at the moment that's been a lot used a lot, have it's been used a lot for the last year on my new project, which is
0: mulling. Just mull. Just mull. And my, my my director uses the word percolate. He he likes yeah. he likes us to when we've got to a good place. I love that
1: word. I love that word. I love that word. Like Dawkins said, didn't he? He said, like, if you were to put a camera in my office when I'm writing a script, he would be like, what the fuck are we paying him for? Because just, <laughs> sat like, he's, just he'd like, he's like, if you would just watch me sit and watch CNN all day. And then in the last, like, two weeks, it suddenly goes, and the social network comes out. That's what you're paying him for. You're paying him for his time. Because writers, as you know, never stop. It's very hard to switch off, and that's the cost. You know what I mean. But and then I I've I've also so mulling mulling mulling. Coming back to music, one of my like I love rock bands and I love guitar-based music, and some of my favorite bands have this ethos that you know. Have you you've played
0: music? Not not for toffee. I, I love it, okay. but my, my <laughs> like like <laughs> football. My enthusiasm way out outstretches my uh, my. But you ability.
1: know music, you know the scene. I mean, you. Oh yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. I've been, been in been recording been studios been in.
0: and rehearsal spaces. Yes. Yeah, of course.
1: So the worst thing that you can say to a musician is right today, and say to yourself as a musician, today I'm going to write a smash. All right. Everyone knows that those great songs fall from the sky, as Noel Noel Gallagher says, and he's right. Because when I played music, if I sat down one day and went, right, now I want to write a really atmospheric, really slow ballad, you know, it would just be a disaster. You know, the great songs fall out of the sky. And it's it, with screenwriting that there have been so many of these fucking books released. Right. This is how you do it. And, ha, 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 ha. and all of them miss the point, which is you can't force it. You can't, you can't cheat time. You have to allow time. And the great writers knew, know that. They also know, like Schrader, when he wrote Taxi Driver in seven or eight days, that if you're flying and the, and the angels are with you, move like a banshee, mate, because they could leave at any second. You know, so you, yeah, it's a, it's like you got to know when you can get into the vault and get the fuck out as quick as possible. But then, but
0: you see, but the point being is, ultimately, if you can see it as work and not creativity, then you know to do the work to get the ideas. The ideas are a destination, not a thing. Absolutely. You know, you Absolutely. you you walk across the hot coals while you're scribbling away absolute nonsense. And and I t- I took the advice that if you can't think of anything to write, then write. I can't think of anything to write. So it's like, it's like you've, you've almost told yourself what the problem is. And then if that becomes your, your jumping off point for something, because it'll come, it'll come because it always has.
1: Again, that comes down to permission, right? Is that if you can get past, and this is why I think a lot of people, I think a lot of people do come into riding later and their later, sort of when they're a bit more mature, because as you as you do mature, you sort of let go of these fucking hang ups. You know, you 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 know in your twenties, you're full of this like, I need to be the best, I love to be perfect, ah! and like when you I'm 35 now and like every day I give less of a fuck. Do you know what I mean? And that only feeds into that only feeds into your process, which is if I have nothing to write, I'm going to write I have nothing to write and I'm not going to walk away for the rest of the day and beat myself up about it. It's just like, that's it. The, the angels weren't with me today. You know,
0: I like to put honest with you. I like to do, I've got nothing to write and then lecture myself about how I have got something to write on the page. It's quite, a, you know, to a, to a sane person that doesn't do it, that would sound like an insane thing to do, but actually I find it completely unfogs your mind because Whatever it is that's stopping me is this this idea that I can't think of a word to say, which is a nonsense. It's like if I said if I said to you tomorrow, give me two words, I'd be off like a rabbit, you know, <laughs> with that because there'd be no pressure to it. It's just like, oh, Henry's give me two words. Let's let's play with that.
1: Yeah, yeah, and 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 I've always said it to. I, I mean, I've never done. I I, I, think, I I haven't done one like writers. Thing ever like class or anything. I did. I, I did do one workshop and I walked out of it because me and my mate walked out because I was like, I can't be listening to this bollocks. Um, and the reason why I walked out of it was because I was being told that if I didn't adhere to a certain set of rules, then I wouldn't make it as a writer. And I'm like, okay. So I asked, well, what have you done? And of course, then I got and I'm like, well, then case in point, mate, because if if there's a formula, and if it's magic, every fucker would be doing it. Do you know what I mean? And 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 that's the whole point for me. Writing is about voice. It's not about getting it right. It's about voice. And I think
0: like, but you see, that's that's so missing from a lot. I mean, because I have I have stumbled into a lot of different workshops and stuff. And, and you're right, a lot of what people talk about is about the machinations of how something is deconstructed, not how something is created. In, in this, I mean, Craig Mazan said this on Script Notes once. He said, he said, you don't ask a demolition expert to build you a building. You speak to an architect. A demolition expert knows our building functions because he cannot want- At Parker, our
1: purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place.
0: The way that um, I work
1: Christopher Granier De who was executive producer on um, uh, County Lines, and um, I'm working with him now. And he said to me, you know, at the end of the day, you write the song and we as producers, we put on the show, you know, and it's like, it's a really great way of thinking about it because he's like, you just need to work on the song a bit more and maybe find some more melody or those beats, you know, and then once that's good, we'll we'll chuck we'll it up on the Royal Albert Hall. Well,
0: what was what what for you then was the was was once you began to break through into what is now the story that is is County Lines, the film, what what were the main storytelling challenges that you encountered, you know, refining that as you did? You know, once you knew you were on that path and you could see it was going there and and every time you did it it was getting closer and closer as opposed to different and different, you were actually refining this thing that was clearly going to be what you were gonna make. What what were the storyteller challenges there? Because you for me you've got like obviously the coming of age thing of this kid and how his life is turned upside down, but you've also got the reality of the the youth workers, the teachers, the 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 arc the, the arc of the mother which is an amazing part of the film well
1: that was that that's the hardest thing, okay, go on the hardest the hardest thing out of the whole writing process was authoring that very subtle shift in perspective um with Tyler and Tony, you know, and that was that was inspired like we got the draft up to a standard, and then Christopher came on and he asked me he said well, what do you really want to say with it? And I said, I want to talk about a mother and a son. And he was like, right, well, then this this needs to happen. And and that kind of got us to what you see. But authoring and threading her experience through it and making it as kind of effortless in a way, that was very tricky because it was a question. It's all about rhythm an emotional rhythm and knowing when to come off her and knowing when to stay on her
0: yeah cuz it ne- cuz it never i mean for the listener's benefit and as someone who's seen it it never ever ever felt like meanwhile mothers doing this it never felt yes, like that and- it felt like a continuum all the time that that the the chaos of tyler this was the cause and effect of the chaos of tyler all right we're looking at the mother but it was because of the chaos of tyler so you felt like the 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 continuation of the of the unfurling of this young lad was, was, was being seen at this moment. If he could be in this room, maybe he would stop. Maybe he would change his, maybe he would rethink what he's doing, but it's the, the, the I'm mixing metaphors up now, but you know, the spooling of the copper is all falling off, falling off the coil. You know what I mean? And he doesn't know it.
1: Because the, the, the DNA of the film, the success of the film really lies in that. And, and the fact that they're so intertwined and that, I never really approached it in the writing that it was Tyler's story. I approached it that it was their story, and so obviously editorially, you know, things shift and round. But if the if the again if the DNA is there and and your stance on it is strong in that, I think it would have been different had I approached it. It's Tyler's story, you know, rather than. Well, well I
0: mean, a, a good comparison would be. Like, I mean, Andrew Arnold does this well with Fish Tank. I mean, it's the same. It's the same principle. The mother plays an integral part in the story it's not it's less about the mother's fall from grace but she certainly is integral in the daughter's rise and fall and fall you know in the story but it always feels like it's a continuum of the the daughter's growing up in in the film it never feels like is the mom's story is the daughter's story you know they are is it like like yours is the the mother son that was definitely a mother daughter story um you want to know the film that inspired it go on the
1: film that inspired that need i guess to write mother son was um this boy's life you seen that film with leo dicaprio and ellen barkin so it was one of my favorite films growing up and i just loved this i loved the idea that yes, obviously it's young Leo and he's great in it. And De Niro plays the abusive. That's it. Yeah. I was was thinking,
0: was it De Niro as the abusive father? Wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: De Niro. But the, the, the real success of the film is that they, they both survive De Niro, not just him. You know what I mean? And, and they both walk out at the end with De Niro sobbing, you know, like a man, um, like a blubby baby. But, that always really moved me. That relationship, you know, and and I think that stayed with me. So that was the that was the screenplay that really, you know, did it for
0: me. Right. I'm gonna I'm going we're gonna we're gonna look at some of the production now for a short while if we can. Um, I live over in the uh, in the in the lovely sunny climes of Leighton in East London, and uh, and I've I've I'm not far from many of the locations. I don't think that you you shot your movie in judging by what I could recognise on screen. So, so how, how, was, uh, how was the experience of shooting a film in, in a London? And from that experience, what, what advice could you give someone who's contemplating shooting a movie and they need to, they need to use London as their, as their location?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was tough because you, you're just jumping around everywhere. Like it, that whole, the whole shoot was just a bit schizophrenic from, from a kind of locations perspective. What I would say, what, what gave us the edge, right, was, was the short film. What gave us the edge? Because we, we used the same locations in, as in the short. So, you know, with Canby Island, initially I had always wanted to go to Port Talbot in Wales, you know, or, or like Redcar, you know, that town Redcar up north, which is bleak as hell and it's beautiful and everything, but the budget didn't allow it. So eventually it was like, well, be smart don't think big but think smart and and we've shot in Canvey. we know the authorities there we know the community and it's money you know it's 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 you get some great shots there you know M- meaning money as in the swingers term it's money baby um so we shot there so know your locations and if you've got an opportunity to maybe author like a little short doesn't have, like we made a 21 minute short and we threw the kitchen sink at it. It doesn't have to be that, but if you've got an opportunity to get a crew together that you really love and you love their work and you, you, know, you feel like a band and you're kind of raising the finger up to every, everyone else and going, we're fucking doing this, then start shooting something now, You know because those locations could prove key if you do get a chance to slot a feature in. And that was really the success of the production. In, in terms of we knew the locations, we had shot in exactly the same locations. So, you know, you take the trap house, for instance. We weren't going in there blind. We were going in there going, we've done this before. How can we make it better? And that's why the film feels so hermetically sealed. You know what I mean?
0: I do. It, uh, it doesn't, yeah, because you, you, I mean, it's weird because you've given me the, um, the full metal jacket scenario uh idea i can i can i I can now picture because i remember i remember watching when watching your film it was like you do that thing that cinema does well which is it makes a leap and you as the audience fill in the gaps because you didn't need to see every nook and cranny of how he came to be in this awful situation i think
1: i was i was actually criticized for that um in a review which is fine you know I don't mind that at all. They were saying that the six-month leap was a cheat. I don't think it's a cheat in any way. I just think after that first trip, you get it. Like it, It's like, you know, you get it. And, and I love the, the word in cinema, and we must talk about the word cinema, not, you know, because TV is different. You know, the delivery of TV is different. But in cinema, the word implied is very important. And I like things that are implied rather than told, if that makes sense.
0: Well, just just going using, using um, one of the greatest writers, Tolstoy, um, he believed in transition as a, as a storytelling tool. And obviously the idea of making leaps in film is about believing that transition and being able to stay with the story.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and I think Kurosawa said, you know, the form of cinema when you really write, and, and it's tough, because you have to write a lot, the form of cinema really is just presenting a series of very strong authored images, and the sort of and the, the, the collection of those strikes a certain cadence and chord in um, the audience. It's, it's it rather than presenting what I always call point to point storytelling, which is this now happens, this now happens, this now happens, and this now happens, and then suddenly we're all there.
0: But you've I mean you've mentioned music a number of times, and I think it's I think it's an important part of of, and you've also used the word rhythm as well um, in terms of talking about your own film, and and I think that's an important part of it is that when we watch something. Um, there is there is a decision we're making subjectively about whether or not we buy into it. Now, the ones that want to force you to buy into it are going to give you the instruction manual as well, which is everything's just good versus bad, and the new ones be damned, kind of thing. But actually the 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 better pieces of work are ones where you're finding the oscillations yourself almost, and you kind of you like you would do about any of your favourite music. Like I couldn't I couldn't tell you that something that's my favourite, it has to be your favourite, because you'd be going, I can't hear it, Stuart. I can't hear it. Whereas then you'd go, no, Stuart, listen to this, or watch this, and I'd be going, no, can't see it because it's a subjective thing that, unless I've walked in your shoes and read the books in the same order as you did and all that, that's what's making you click with something or not click with something for that for that matter. Um, and I think that's the I think that's an important part of it. And and the best films seem to be the ones that if you if you allow yourself to be Give so if you give yourself over to the film, i.e., switch off your phone, you know, and it sounds weird to even say that now, but because now we've not got cinemas to go to at the moment properly, um, in in a normal sense of the word, um, we're having to watch a lot more at home, and it's so easily tempting to to not be a good boy or girl.
1: Yeah, I tell you, what a really interesting two interesting cinema trips that I had that made a huge impact on me. Where me and Victoria when we went and watched Winter's Bone, right like the Jennifer Lawrence film. I can't really remember what the fuck happens in that film, but what I remember so much is the feeling of the setting and the characters and that there was a lot of, like, suspicion. There was a lot of threat, and there was a lot of very, very murky kind of... Uh, characters and she was at the center of it. And I, I, I was like, I wouldn't really want to go on there for a, for a walk, you know? And I think that I'd rather be left with that. Do, do you know what I mean? Like I'd rather be left with that feeling, which is still so strong in me. I can't remember what happens in it. I don't care what happens in it, but I care that it's gone. Oh God, I can remember the house and the trees and the autumn and the cold and like the, the whole thing. And I'm like, Christ, hell, Jesus, help me. And then the other cinema thing was when I watched um, There Will Be Blood. And the first time I watched it, I was with myself. And it's the only film that I've ended up listening to the first time more than s- watching it, purely because of um, Johnny Greenwood's score, right, who's a real hero of mine. And I came out and I hated it. I was like, I hate that. I hate this film. <laughs> I was like, I think it's so bad and everything. And I was like, but I, for three weeks, I couldn't stop. I was obsessed with it. I could, I kept waking up at night thinking of, it. I kept saying to Victoria, I was like, I can't stop thinking about it. And I don't know why. And then I watched it again. And, and I watched it the second time in the cinema. And I went, Henry, you absolute fucking fool. And you know why? Because he dared to show me an ugly character. He dared to show me greed personified. You know what I mean? And he said, I don't care if your beliefs don't fit into this. I don't care if you think it's wrong. This is what I want to say. I'll drink from your milkshake. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I'll swap do you. you know what I mean? No, I'll swap. Yeah, I'll swap I, I I had a very I had a very similar experience when um in in, in one of the few evening classes I went to, some the, the, the guy showed us Legetti, the uh I think it's about 20 minutes French and it's all stills. But obviously before we before we watched it, he basically told us we're about to look at the Mona Lisa and you're kinda of like, yeah, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and then I spent twenty minutes thinking, you're wrong, you're wrong. And it's weird, it's weird. Maybe three weeks is the optimum time where you have where you have your head messed with. Cause I spent the next three weeks thinking about this thing that I thought I hated. And all obviously just like a big tanker in the ocean. I was just turning myself around and going back to the land of I enjoyed it. You know, and it's like it it is amazing that and I think that's something that I think all I guess all good art, good cinema, should run the risk of getting on your nerves.
1: I I a hundred percent. I hundred percent agree. I think, I think that I think that's where Lars von Trier is so gifted. In that, when we when Victoria and I watched Antichrist, we fucking walked home on opposite sides of the road. Do you know what I mean? And it's like that film has he, Lars would have been like, "Oh, so amazing, amazing, amazing!" you know, that's the highest compliment. And it's not to say that you think that the film is perfect or that is you know, good, bad or whatever. It's just that what it presents is a different perspective and a different take and a different tone and feel that maybe you haven't even seen before or felt before. And it makes you uncomfortable. And I think all great art should dare to do that. It should, it should dare to make you not feel safe, but to rupture you in some way, you know.
0: No, and well, I think I think the pro- the problem we have is and, is too many of us don't 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 get don't get out of our comfort zones. So yes. when 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 we're asked to do it emotionally, whether that be, I mean, I'm, I'm old enough to remember when W. H. Smith wanted to ban American Psycho, you know, Brettis Easton book. Now it's a novel for crying out loud. It's a work of fiction. It's not a it's not a it's not a biography. It's a work of fiction, and you get into like your like your reaction to *There Will Be Blood*. You're asked to get into the head of a psychopath, and it's <laughs> and it's a it's a really messed up read because you read an essay about Whitney Houston for crying out loud. That's not mad, <laughs> but that the but but it was because it was it was it got people upset and it got a reaction and and I think that's where uh, too many people's lives is, is uh, their rhythm of their life is just ba dum ba dum ba dum ba dum ba dum. And you don't put any obstacles in the way of that. And I don't mean I don't mean that we all have to climb K two every five minutes to prove that we're alive, <laughs> you know. But but the the idea that that you might upset your own rhythm just for the just for shits and giggles.
1: I think that's the duty. I think that's your duty. Like this is the thing, right? Especially with writing, like your only duty is to. Cr- is to go outside of your comfort zone and what happens is right is that you go outside your comfort zone and then you feel uncomfortable and then you might if you've got enough will and enough energy and passion you can you'll you'll see you'll get through that anxiety and you'll go Fucking yes you know i've done it i've done it but of course what's happening at the same time is you're creating an entirely new comfort zone right you're and and then So then you go and part of what the toughest thing of writing about and which is why I think so many people essentially leave it is because every single time you're starting again, if you are led by leaving your comfort zone, do do you know what I mean? It's tough. Um, And then, then the whole thing is you get out of it, you achieve what you wanted to achieve. But in doing that, you've also authored another comfort zone and then you have to get out of that one and then you have to get out of that one. And so like every time you're like, Oh God, I feel like I know nothing. But then the writers out there who just pull it out the shelf. Do you know what I mean? They just go, Oh, I just, I just do that. And that, and that's great. Like if they want to do that, that's fantastic, but it's just not how I want to live.
0: But, but, but also those to, to be, to be fair to any of those people that are doing that, obviously they get paid a lot of money to do it, but, but also, they're having to answer to a sea of people who who are who are protecting a brand or protecting a, a studio, and that's 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 business. It's not it's not it's not it's not um, a bad thing in itself. Because if you watch something like <clears throat> I don't know Logan, Scott Frank went, I'm going to make a film that's not a superhero movie, and it's fantastic because that's what he got the permission to do that, and it's great that someone like Scott Frank got to do it.
1: <clears throat> yeah, but you imagine how much. Behind that, getting to do that, he has played the game for years. He'll know like, you know, it's not that he suddenly just turned up and gone, yo, I want to do something a bit different. And they've gone, and the corporates have gone, Oh yes, God, way go, go down that road, right? We'll see you at the end. He has learned the game. It's a it's a game of when you're at that level and you're dealing with those corporates and like you say, brands, and I think that's a really key word. You are you have to become a very, very good negotiator and facilitator of corporate expectation, you know? And that's a skill in itself.
0: Well, one of my favorites in that front then is, is to prove that point is um, Billy Wilder's a quote from Billy Wilder who, you know, he won one or two Oscars for his work. So I think we can say he can do it. Um, and he always maintained he had to smuggle in the art like it was contraband. And you're like, at what point do you not trust someone who's brought who's Some Like It Hot or The Apartment. You kind of got to say, he knows what he's doing. But no, they want to go, hmm, have you tried this? Have you tried that? Have you, we don't like this. No,
1: but then, but then I absolutely 100% think that. So here's the thing. Smuggling in art like contraband at the same time is really fucking fun. Because it, it because if you take away I I asked my friend the other day, I said, if you could get into like the most expensive vault in the world, and obviously pandemic aside, right? We were having this conversation because he's he's a painter and we often talk about like creative process and he was just like, I just feel like I'm hitting hitting the he's painting after painting and he's not really having a breakthrough, and he said to me, and I said to him, look, bro, if you could get into the the, the most expensive, highly profitable vault in the world, right, and you could walk in there and you could break it, what would you do? Would you take the money or would you spray paint on the wall? I was here, date it, and leave. And he was like, bro, it's a pandemic. I'd take all the cash. And I was like, I wouldn't. I'd take the psychological win every single time and that's what billy wilder was so good at was that he said to the guys he was like yeah 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 sure 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 but at the same time he's going into the vault and he's spraying all over the wall you know i was here and and data and every single time those corporates will go to the premiere and they'll be like mother Fuck, he got that in, you know? And the, that's the joy of screenwriting, I think.
0: Well, I was, well, I was going to say, I mean, obviously, the, the better example would be, you know, com, post-Second World War communist Russian cinema. You know, you had people who were having to sneak everything in because the state wouldn't let them, wouldn't let them move, and yet they were making critiques of their, their, their system through film to a point that it could be read, but it could easily or be Or even,
1: you take blues music, you know, the old blues the old uh, roots blues, when they were uh, in the singing the gospels and stuff on the plantations, a lot of that, a lot of that, they was refer to my baby and oh my baby and and treating, being treated awfully. That's coded language for the white man treating the black man terribly. But they can't sing that direct on the plantations because they knew that. would get treated they would get treated so they 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 invented this kind of code of you know talking about how my baby's treating me so bad etc and that was their catharsis but also it was their way of going this is a podcast so you can't see what I'm holding up right now but what I'm holding up right now folks just for the listener is a nice big strong middle finger okay artists are great you have to argue as well if you took that away that needs to break the vault and you know put something up on the wall to take the psychological win would the work be as good Hmm. do you know what i mean like if it was totally not i mean i was
0: i've been fortunate enough in me in the in the past to have interviewed the dean of saint martin's art school when they were celebrating the whatever anniversary it was to do with the sex pistols playing their first gig and because I had the chance to speak to someone who interviews a, a, you know a production line of students who want to be artists and obviously St Martins is a is a prestigious in, institute i said you know how do you how the hell do you choose like from an 18 year old who's who's worth having kind of thing and he just says we're just looking for people who want to communicate what they can't quite say in a different fashion and i'm like that's fairly simple it's a fairly simplistic view of so he, he isn't saying we're looking for great artists. He isn't saying we're looking for... Because he, who knows what they'll end up doing. They could end up just batting it out on terracotta pots for what he knows, you know, by the end of the year. Maybe yeah, I'll copyright that. Really that was my idea, that, Henry. I, I thought of the terracotta pots. Don't be robbing No, that. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Well, look, I think we should remind people that we're actually talking because you've got a film to promote, which is County Lines. So do you want to remind people how and where they can see it?
1: So it's coming out on December the 4th, which is this Friday, Um, and it's coming out at select cinemas uh, across London um, and in other areas, obviously tier-dependent. And if you can't get to a cinema, then it comes out on the BFI iPlayer and the Curzon Home Cinema um, uh, on the same day. So it's a dual cinema digital release.
0: Indeed, indeed. Well, look, it just gives me to say... Thank you very much for giving your time on the Britflix podcast.
1: Mate, it's been a real pleasure. I love talking riding.